Good morning, everyone. <laughs> and it is so lovely to be with you, either in person or online. Um, I know Aid has just prayed for me, but I'm very nervous, so I'm going to pray again <laughs> just before I get started. So, um, Lord, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive? Would you open us to encounter your spirit and allow your word to change us today? Would we be open to revelation that changes our outlook on life and challenges our hearts? Would you allow us to reflect in you in all we do? Amen. So, at nine, I read a book called Judy Moody Saves the World. It was about a little girl who others found bossy and um, how she found out about the state of our planet. Not, I don't know why I related to that. Um, <laughs> but I was enthralled by this book. And after that, the world didn't really seem to make sense to me. If things were so bad, why didn't we recycle? If things were so bad, why did we buy new things? And if things were so bad, why did we have escalators? Now, as I was thinking this, I was in London Victoria train station on an escalator, and there was a big red button that said, push in case of emergency. And I thought, well, this is an emergency. And um, people should just walk up the stairs, and we could save the energy and therefore save the planet. So I pushed the button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, needless to say, my mum was not very happy about my excuse for pushing said big red button, but it stuck with me. At 13, I read a book called The Waterless Sea, and it's part of a bigger series. But in this book, there is a young girl called Calwyn, and she has the gift of healing, and they are in the middle of a war that promises to be brutal and bloody. She leaves the castle, goes out onto the battlefield with two friends, no armor or swords to speak of, and at the risk of their safety, she puts her hands under the sand and starts to heal the earth. This action stops the battle immediately and ultimately stops the war. This moment has always stuck with me, and I always wanted to be that girl who puts her hands to the ground in the middle of a battle to heal our land. At 15, I read a story in Genesis about a God who created the heavens and the earth, the light and the dark, the land and the sea. He created it all and then handed it to us to take care of. If you have a Bible or are using the Bible app or tab, you can go to Genesis 1, 28 through 30. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it. This is our first call and our first commission. The first thing that was asked of humanity 
to take care of the creation that God has put in our hands, to, take, to care for the earth. This is the first thing that we are called to by God. It's our responsibility to care for his creation and to treat the world as if God created it. John Mark Comer writes in his book, Garden City, we're called to a very specific kind of work, to make a garden-like world where image bearers can flourish and thrive, where people can experience and enjoy God's generous love, a kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, where the glass wall between earth and heaven is so thin and so clear and translucent that you don't even remember it's there. That's the kind of world we're called to make. After all, we're just supposed to continue what God started in the beginning. And to me, this quote really articulates the fullness of the first commission, as set out in Genesis, that we are a people called into... To, sorry. <laughs> that we are a called people drawn into experience the wholeness and holiness of God's creation. And I don't believe that when it says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that it only meant that he was talking about the world with people in it. I believe that God has a full picture of a world where we live in harmony with his creation as set out from Genesis. Thanks. <laughs> and if we really lived this out, if we really lived like God created the world... Would we bury our rubbish under the soil where it can poison our rivers? If we really lived like God created the world, would we destroy our forests? If we really lived like God created the world, would we continually drive animals to the point of extinction? But we're not just supposed to take care of the world for this reason. And you might say to me, oh, Caitlin, this is all well and good, but actually the first thing we're called to do is loving God and loving others. So also, it's all going to burn in the end. So really, what's the point? Well, <laughs> we each have a time to live on this earth. And it's our responsibility to steward that time that we have. Even though we know our physical bodies will die, we don't just discard them and say, what's the point? I think the same is true for our earth. We are given our time here to steward and respect God's creation. Now, I hope I've already partially convinced you, at least, that the world is worth looking after. But um, now I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 22, 37 to 39. And I'm just going to have a drink of water while you do that. <laughs> Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the next is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The context of this passage is key to understanding the depth of what it holds. This is commonly referred to as the greatest commandment and his response to a question from a Pharisee to Jesus. Now, the Pharisees were not big Jesus fans, in um, case you didn't know. 
In fact, they found themselves at total odds with the person of Jesus because he seemed to care more about the sinner than judging them for the sin. In this reply, Jesus sets out a clear call and a clear commission for us as Christians. And I want to suggest that maybe this verse might have grown stale significance to you because of how often it is used in church settings. I feel like we speak so much about this verse in terms of community or personal salvation. Um, And however, the repetition of all here is what struck me anew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To give our all is to give our everything. And there there is another phrase that you might have heard of, which is, none of me, but all of you. The you here is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And this is my repeated prayer. None of me, but all of you. And the ability to give that much over to God on a daily basis. But I know that he has a wealth of grace and waiting for us when we fail. Furthermore, he then asks us to love our neighbors as yourself. What does it mean to love someone like yourself? It might mean a lot of different things, but for me, it means to prefer their needs to mine, to go above and beyond to make sure that they feel loved and they feel like they matter. But this is not just our local neighbor or our church neighbor, a metaphorical neighbor. I'm using this passage in the context of our global neighbor. I'd like to introduce you to Orbisa, a 35-year-old mother who lives in the Afar region of Ethiopia, and her experience that she shared with Tear Fund. A few years ago, Orbisa could rely on the rains. But now, because of the changing climate, they are far less predictable. So she walks up to 10 hours a day, every day, to find water for her family to drink. Her livelihood relies on selling livestock. But drought has killed nine of her 10 cows. And she's also lost nearly half of her goats. Let's just pause for a second. The stark reality is that Obisa is paying the costs for our emissions, which has mostly been, develop- been um, created by developed nations like ours. A question you might have for me here is, well, how does this link to climate change? Well, The death of these goats and her livestock is linked to the change in weather that the region was facing. Obisa says we used to get rain every four to five months. The area was very fertile and green, but it hasn't rained for six months, and I don't know when it will rain next. I feel worried whenever I think about the future. The lack of reliable rainfall is what caused the livestock to die of either first or starvation. Orbisa says, life is very challenging here. We have no food and are dependent on our livestock for our livelihood. Whenever there is no rainfall, our animals die as there is no grass or water. 
This affects our lives significantly. We will not get money to have milk to drink. We have no other option. Imagine being left with no other option. Knowing that that option could cause your family to starve. But this isn't an isolated story. Around the world, millions of our neighbours are being pushed back into poverty because of climate change. The poorest 3.5 billion people are responsible for just 10% of emissions. But these same people are already facing the worst impacts of climate change. In 2016, world hunger started to increase for the first time in over a decade, and it has continued to increase every year since. And that's because of climate change and conflict, and then climate change exacerbating the effects of the conflict. In Mexico, very recently, a gas pipeline burst under the sea and caused an ocean to be set on fire. Literally, the ocean was on fire because of something men put under the sea. Not just men, humankind. <laughs> it is unclear about the environmental impact of this event. But to see the ocean <laughs> literally on fire, it does something to you. For me, it was a representation of what our world is facing. It made me angry and a little bit afraid. I was also struck by this image and it has burned a new passion and a new spark in me. In Australia, the Great Barrier Reef was nearly taken off the UNESCO World Heritage List because 60% of the reef has experienced bleaching. Bleaching is caused by rising sea temperatures, and rising sea temperatures are caused by the ocean absorbing the excess heat, largely from greenhouse gases, which are largely caused from the burning of fossil fuels. The bleaching occurs because when you warm the ocean up, essentially it leads to a reduction in the amount of oxygen um, that it dissolves, which makes the water more acidic, which bleaches the reef and destroys habitats. Coral reefs are a beautiful and intricate and amazing example of God's creativity. And if we don't do something, they won't be around much longer. It's not just far away in countries that maybe we don't know a lot about or maybe we don't hear a lot about, but it has started to impact us closer to home. Most of you would have seen the flooding that happened in Germany. Those were people's homes and lives that are now rear-ended and upheaves for who knows how long. This is no longer so removed that we can plead ignorance just so easily. If this is still too far removed for you, I'd like you to think about the UK. In Scotland, there is a new proposition for an oil field called Cambo. The International Energy Agency and the International Panel on, inter, sorry, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change have both been very clear that new gas and oil is completely incompatible with a livable future. 
a livable future. And that seems hypocritical at best, with the UK aiming for status as a climate leader. At worst, we are trading our futures with short-term profits. According to the Met Office statistics, 2020 was the UK's third warmest, sixth wettest, eighth sunniest year. And there was more rain in February than ever before. And this is just the start. Things only get worse from this point onwards. And if we don't change, if we stand still and do nothing, then habitats will continue to be lost. Animals will continue to be endangered. Floods will get more extreme. Droughts will be longer. There'll be more extreme differences in temperature. The forest fires that we are seeing in Greece and Turkey will continue to rage. The list goes on. It only gets better if we act. And to me, the science is clear. The climate crisis is being caused by us, especially us in developed nations. And the impacts are accelerating. And you might ask, why is this happening? And what does this look like? And that is a really complicated question. And statistically, a number of you won't agree with me. <laughs> um, however, essentially, it boils down to greed. Greed to go faster, greed to reach higher, greed to heat more, greed to speed more. Greed is the driving factor of climate change. And we are running out of time to prevent the worst effects. We have to act fast and change the way we live. And governments have to be much more ambitious. But right now, we have a unique window of opportunity to make a change and take a stand. We are not powerless. I just need to repeat that for myself. We are not powerless. This is a crucial moment for our leaders to take climate change seriously. In the Bible, Jesus tells us the most important commandments are to love God and to love our neighbors. By tackling the climate crisis is vital to both of these. Honoring God by protecting his creation and loving our global neighbors who are hit first and worst by what is now a climate emergency. So if you are sat there this morning and thinking, Whew, that's a lot. I understand. It felt a lot saying it. <laughs> if you are sat there and you are feeling overwhelmed, I 100% understand. And if you are sat there and you are thinking, but what can I do? Step one, pray. <laughs> pray for our leaders, pray for scientists, pray for solutions, and pray for those who are facing the crisis. Step two, speak up. Call on leaders to take action, to push to meet climate targets, sign petitions to stop habitat destruction, to stop our oceans being filled with plastic, to um, maintain aid budgets, to find others and join together and call it what it is, a climate emergency. Step three, inspire others. Talk about it and 
don't be afraid of making different decisions and then having to explain those decisions to the people around you. I mean, we do it all the time with Jesus. (laughs) Step four, take action. Make some really small steps like meat-free Mondays, switch to a renewable energy supplier. That's actually one of the best things you can do and it's so easy. Um, Buy some second-hand items, repair something, bring your own coffee cup to church, please. (laughs) Um, Use our local zero waste shop. There is one in Westbourne, there's one in Boscombe, use them. Um, Research, Tear Fund have some amazing resources available on their website. And talk to people, you can talk to me. I'm always up for chatting everything uh, environment. And I want to gently suggest with love and grace that maybe some of us have been living in ignorance of these facts. And maybe we've denied it. Maybe we've denied that it's something that we should care about. Or maybe it just didn't seem important enough or worth the inconvenience. But we serve a good and gracious God, who extends an arm of forgiveness to us when we repent and realign with him. And the practical steps I've shared are great, but ultimately the heart work is what I genuinely believe is the first step in drawing closer to God. In Genesis, we are given the picture of what God designed his creation to be. This is what loving the king and living for his kingdom looks like. It is costly, but in this case, we are making small, personal sacrifices in order to benefit the lives of others, not only now, but in the future as well.